Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, God's Man, a uh, novel in woodcuts by Lind Ward, first published in 1929. It's uh, kind of like a comic book. Uh, apparently it inspired graphic novels. It has very, very few words in it. Um, just a few on the signs, on the cover, giving the author's name and uh, the chapter headings, I guess. A dedication. And the rest is all done in imagery. I never even heard of this before, although I had heard of Lind Ward and seen his illustrations in in other uh, subjects. You're um, you're a scholar of, I guess, the history of graphic storytelling, isn't that right? I've I have studied the history of graphic storytelling. Yes. So how did you come across this? It, it, you weren't alive in 1929 when it came out. I, I was not alive in 1929, um, although my parents just about were. Uh, Ward has a prominent place in the history of the development of graphic narrative in the world, and particularly in the United States, because the book we're going to be discussing today, God's Man, is considered to be the first American wordless novel. As you said, it's not thoroughly wordless because there's some signage um, in the street scenes. And there is the implication of words on some documents that we see, but the scroll is illegible. So we, we know there's words there, but they're not in a language that we're expected to be able to read and critique. Um, Ward is not the first person to write a create a wordless uh, book. The the most famous precursor is a, a European named Masriel. Um, the reason I was so interested in Ward, besides his historical prominence, is twofold. He is very good. Mm. I, I think I hope that our discussion um, will even deepen the sense of how good he is. The second is that it has seemed to me for a long, long time that our understanding of language as being something that requires words is too limited, Mm. that there's not just body language, but people use images all the time to convey meaning. Uh, The most obvious example of this is what's called dramatic irony where on a stage, one character can be seen to know something. Um, For example, he can be holding something behind his back Mm. that another character doesn't see, but the audience does. And so the audience knows that when the character says, gee, I haven't seen your your whatever it is that he's holding behind his back, um, he's lying. Right. So there's a there's a mismatch. That's and that's why it's called dramatic irony, because we know it most anciently from dramas well we wouldn't have that nuance we wouldn't understand the the real sense of the character who says that the actor inhabiting that character the sense of it if we didn't have the vision of it as well so on the one end of a spectrum you might think of language communications being utterly in words 
And then we have lots of things like comic books that you just referred to where we have words and images that are collaborating. Mm -hmm. And the nature of the collaboration is uh, is a big issue. Um, I'm, in fact, working on a book on it as we speak. Well, not at this moment, but this <laughs> very day. This very day. Uh, but at the other end of the spectrum, in fact, you've got things that are just images. If you want the things in the middle, we can go back at least to the Bayeux Tapestry, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is tells us the story of the Norman Conquest, um, which is now a thousand, almost a thousand years ago. Um, and then there it is. I mean, I've, I've visited it in Bayeux and 200 meters long or whatever it is with one picture after another and Latin inscriptions underneath to sort of help you along. But most people didn't read Latin, which is why we have the Stations of the Cross telling us the story of the life of Jesus without any words at all. Well, this is a story like, I think, the Stations of the Cross. And it's called God's Man, although for anyone who hasn't, uh, you, you know, when you when you see things, you often see what you expect to see. So mm -hmm. you've got those th those uh, proofreading puzzles that'll say um, inside a triangle, it'll say I, then it'll say love you, and it'll say in the next th in the third line in the, and then the fourth line will say the spring, and you read it, and instead of reading it I love you in the the spring. You read it as I love you in the spring and you you don't notice that there's mm -hmm. a second the mm -hmm. that needs to be removed. Um, well, I, I think it's important to notice that this is God's man, but the apostrophe is to the right of the S. Mm -hmm. So um, even when we have words here, this book trains us to read. And I mean, language being both words and images to read more carefully, to slow down. So um, I, I think you'd like me to give kind of a quick synopsis of sure. what God's man. Yeah. So it's divided into five sections. You call them chapters. It, it's got a title page and it's got a cover and then a title page. And of course, every page has to have significance and would be worth stopping on uh, to discuss in a book that's constructed this way virtually, almost entirely wordlessly. The uh, the. The title page is itself enigmatic uh, in some ways, and we can return to that um, afterwards. I'd love your feelings about this, since I think for you this is a first reading of the book, or mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Um, the first section is called The Brush, and it, is, it, it shows the story of a young man sailing in a, on a, in a solitary boat, a sea which becomes tremendously tempestuous he looks up and light breaks down from the heavens he immediately begins to uh sketch in his in his portfolio once the sea has calmed and then after sketching he comes ashore and walks across uh some land toward a city he enters into the city um, he passes a beggar who uh, whom he who, to whom he gives alms uh, the beggar is missing uh, part of a leg he looks sort of like a stereotypical sailor in fact who didn't quite make it as well as our our young man um, and then he goes to an uh, an eating establishment called the slink inn mm -hmm. that's one of the few the few 
words that we have, uh, sort of a German spelling, though, S-L-I-N-C-K, where he asks for food. He's given food. And then when payment is required, he shows his empty pockets but offers a portrait. The uh, innkeeper scorns him. And it looks like this big burly guy is about to bash the, uh, the young man when in comes a figure in a, a slender figure in a top hat and his face completely masked in black who goes over and in fact gives three coins to the innkeeper in payment. The innkeeper is happy. Um, the young man is surprised the black mask then looks at the the work in the portfolio and ultimately offers a contract. If you'll sign this contract, um, it turns out I'll get your portfolio and you'll get this pen, this writing tool, this brush. And then we get a few pictures of people who have used this brush. Mm -hmm. If we're alert, we may realize that this is a deal with the devil Mm-hmm. And this is a satanic brush. But this brush has allowed the sensuality of ancient Egypt. It has allowed great art in the Renaissance. It has allowed the development of modern science. This brush has been in the hands of one enormously powerful creative person after another. And so, um, in fact, the brush becomes that of the, uh, the young man. He takes this uh, brush and goes into the, deeper into the city. He passes a place where he can buy artist supplies at lowest prices. Money is obviously an issue already very strongly in the book. Um, and then he sets up his easel in the square of the city and begins making a picture of the city. A crowd is attracted to him, all male, and it gets to be quite a an excited crowd looking over his shoulders to see what he's doing, a man with a top hat, a portly fellow who may in fact be our hero, mm-hmm. because um, as, as the young man walked into the city, he passed the back of a statue of a portly guy who looks like some overfed banker in the stereotype. Um, and this, could, this guy who approaches him could be that very individual. Um, he gives him his card which I think at first we believe means he wants to introduce himself so he can buy the painting. But it turns out that's not what he has in mind. He wants to be his representative, his agent. And he takes the painting and immediately auctions it off. And there's a frenzied auction. By the time the the day is over, there is a lot of money in both of their hands, in, in the, the top hat guy and the young man. The top hat guy takes him under his arm and they go away. And clearly he is going to run this guy's career. He's going to run the young man's career. He installs him in a penthouse apartment, the balcony of which allows him views from which he can make more such city paintings. He ties a tie around his neck, a big fluffy kind of tie that you might expect uh, some, uh, I don't know, Oscar Wilde to wear. Mm -hmm. And they go to a... A soiree at which he is toasted and a very sensuous woman who has a an immodest gaze is presented to him. He is, uh, since gazing is his thing, um, moved by this, uh, sort of stunned by this. 
And it turns out that what's going on is that the uh, the agent is trying to supply the young man with a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, they go off together and uh, immediately um, we see him carrying her through a lighted doorway as if she were a bride. But there's been no wedding. This is not a bride. And that's the end of the section called The Mistress. Then there's a section called The Brand. Um, he's painting his mistress and she's nude. He, he looks over, he comes behind her and looks down and sees that branded behind her shoulder is a dollar sign. He looks shocked, but she looks at him scornfully. He begins to wander despondently in the city and he meets one authority figure after another, a policeman, a soldier and so on. And each of these people in a very possessive, objectifying way, has in his grasp um, some compliant, sexually uh, energetic female. In fact, they may all be the same female because they all seem to have the same dress. Mm. And uh, when he finally begins to act, he raises his hands toward uh, one person who is hanging on to one of these women. Um who clearly are going willingly with the men, uh, obviously for money. Um, this guy picks up a cane and whacks him over the head, knocks him out and drags him to court where he is lying on the floor of the courtroom before the high bench on which sits a judge who also has one of these women in the spotted dress yep. with his arm around her. Um, and he gets thrown. Our young man gets thrown into a jail cell In the jail cell, he is also, again, scorned. Everyone looks at him scornfully, but he finally is able to escape. Um, It looks like he may have used that very tie to overpower a guard who comes to give him food. He takes the guard's uh, garments, his uniform. He escapes, but the top-hatted man, the agent, spots him in the street, calls up a crowd, and they chase him out. Uh, So there he is. Um, He thinks he's going to get away. Um, He gets off into the mountains, but in the mountains, he faces, in fact, a quintet of grimly grinning authority figures like the ones he's just seen. Um, And he falls. There's a burst of light that begins the, the fourth section called the wife. But the light may be subterranean. There may be light coming up from hell as well as, you know, anything else. And after that, um, we see a woman. Uh, She sort of is wearing the same dress, although she doesn't have quite the same hard look to her face that the uh, prostitute women had. Um, And she has by her goats, quite satanic looking goats with pointy, pointy horns. But, you know, I mean... They are, you know, maybe she's just, I don't know, rural. Um, We see our hero on the side of a riverbank, exhausted, having, but we don't know whether he's been purified, he's just been exhausted, or the river is a symbol of time having passed, and that's what's exhausted him. But she comes over, she puts his head in her lap. Eventually, she brings him home to her home in the mountains. She nurses him back to health. And um, it looks like they're getting on very nicely in this chapter called The Wife. In fact, as he is strong enough, becomes strong enough to go out, he looks down from the mountains and sees the city. And instead of returning to the city, 
he goes with her deeper into the mountains and they look up and see the Milky Way. They're seeing light in the darkness. Um, this is important because the first time uh, our young man is redeemed um, in that, that tempestuous sea, there is the sun breaking through. In all of the subsequent images we have of the sun, the sun is actually a black disk with light radiating from it. So now we're seeing white again, but it is in a black sky. So it's ambiguous what's going on here. Uh, they go back home, having seen the Milky Way. Oh, I should say that in this instance, she is sitting, he is standing, and he has his hand gently on her shoulder. It's the exact opposite of the kind of graspingness we've seen before of men holding women. And the artist's hand being on her shoulder is the opposite of being repelled by the symbol of the brand, of the dollar sign on the shoulder of the, uh, the, the courtesan. In fact, the bride, the wife, becomes pregnant. They have a child. And uh, it looks like we have a kind of idyllic uh, place. Uh, at the end of that chapter, the the artist is standing outside with arms raised as if he's praising the heavens. Mm. Although, as I say, the sun is drawn black. The fifth section, which is the last, is called the portrait. And in this one, um, it looks like they're doing fine. But suddenly, uh, at this point, by the way, time has passed because the child is now big enough to walk on his own. And we see the child going out into the into nature and painting as the father paints mm -hmm. um, it's it's lovely a, sh a top hatted shadow falls across them and there is the guy from the beginning the one who paid the money for the contract and he points to the contract and says you know your time is due um, the artist is surprised but he doesn't seem troubled very much uh, we see him go off higher into the mountains with the black mask fellow and waving goodbye to the wife and child who are gaily waving back to him. He sits down and now instead of doing a portrait of the city, which attracted the city dwellers, or a portrait of nature, which seems fitting if it's nature's God who has redeemed him or the love of a good woman, he is taking a, making a portrait of the black mask guy in the mountains. We do not get to see his face as the black mask guy removes his mask, but we see the reaction of the young man, which is horrified. The young man is so struck that he falls down into an abyss. And then in the penultimate plate of the book, we see that the black, black mask man has in fact been a skeletal head, a scornful, grinning skeletal head. But the last image of the book shows the uh, the so-called wife sitting on a cliffside, and she's got her goats around her. And we don't know whether she is just visiting the place whence her husband left, or if she is satisfied having drawn him finally back into hell, since she was a a succubus, the servant of the devil, sent to corrupt men, something that the first courtesan couldn't do. It's it's very ambiguous. And mm -hmm. I I think that's important because I think that apostrophe needs to be on the on the plural side in God's man. 
I think one of the ways we could look at this is to say that sex and fame and, and money and even a desire to shape the world the way you want it, creativity, um, those are gods. And you shouldn't give yourself up to gods and just do anything for them. On the other hand, another way to look at it would be to say that this is a Manichaean universe. It's all in black and white. Uh, German expressionism and art deco styles are very strong here, very emotional. And maybe the black and the white is that just like the, the white sun and the black sun. And the black sun never comes out again after the man begins to make his way in a capitalist or a materialist society using his art. And he's forever after perverted, no matter how much he thinks he's going in a good direction. Um, he is, in fact, lost from the very first moment. He was OK to begin with when he gave alms to someone who needed them. But as soon as he accepted funds from the devil, um, he was lost. At least that's one way to read the story. Mm -hmm. I've gone on long enough. Does this accord with the things that you were reading in it? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there are certainly interpretations to be made. Um, one of the, one of the things that I, uh, that struck me in my first read through was, was the, the difference between the country and the city and it seems to be like uh, one one way of thinking about it is is that this the city is corrupting and the the country is purifying or um uplifting in a certain sense uh and that it ha both of them have heights right there's the buildings um in the uh in the city the the skyscrapers although most of the places he start he starts off he starts at you know little huts he starts at the bottom and he when he reaches the heights uh, to to paint the city it's in a garret apartment it's not a um, you know uh, you, you called it a um, what I it called like? it a penthouse because despite the the sloping um, wall that reminded me of a garret also. It has a large balcony that it opens onto. Right. And it's from that balcony that he does his painting of the cityscape. So that's why I decided. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I just I want to point out that uh, a garret, it, you know, is is not the same as a penthouse, even though they're in the same position on a building right there at the top. Usually a penthouse is considered the highest. You know, you've made it. You've you, you know, if you live in the penthouse, you're you're the master of all you survey sort of idea. Um, but he slinks into town at the Slink Inn, um, and then he's run out of town or out of the city um, and either jumps off a cliff or falls off a cliff in his uh, in the pursuit away from uh, of the city. And then um, I, I like I like that you pointed out the um, the use of the scarf, which I, I hadn't noticed, um, although I had noticed the hat. I hadn't noticed the scarf, and I, I didn't know what to make of the hat, but now I'm starting to understand maybe uh, another development in here, which is um, the scarf, or the, I guess it's the tie, right, that <laughs> that his agent ties for him, right? It's almost as if he's, he's acting like a father to a son who doesn't know um, how to tie, because his father's missing right he'd never taught him how to tie a tie 
he he's providing the things that a father would provide, um, but he's actually cheating him in a certain sense. And that smiling face um, on the agent is not our first introduction to the agent. I think you're right. The statue that says our hero with the agent looking figure facing the 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 uh, protagonist um, has his hand behind his back as if he's hiding something as if he's you know got his fingers crossed in fact um, when he makes the deal uh, he sells the, he says I'm gonna he doesn't actually say anything but I, we interpret um, and I think this is just supposed to be the, that way we interpret that he's going to be his agent he's going to make a lot of money from this um relationship and in that first sale he only keeps one of the coins um and he hands a handful of coins to the uh, protagonist so off they go to that garrett apartment he then gives them the tie ties his tie for him um takes him to a party which actually is probably a showing of his art at a gallery where all these uh, high-level folks are um, looking at his his images and toasting him. Um, then, at his highest point, the next panel, after he's raised his glass in sort of celebration, like, I'm making it, this is what I dreamed of, we see uh, the agent whispering in the woman's ear, right? Now's your time. Go to him, right? And it, it sort of puts him into this trap that he doesn't see until that embrace where after he's painted her, he sees her, we see her like looking slyly at the camera, at the camera, at the, uh, at the reader um, in his innocence. He doesn't know what we know. And she laughs at him for being so stupid. This destroys him. He's, he's sent out of the he's sent out of the apartment. He walks out of the apartment, and every place he goes, the cop on the bench has a girl. Um, they laugh at him. He he's in terrible condition. The sailor on the street has a girl. It's the same girl as you point out. Um, they laugh at him. Uh, he goes to church, and what does he find in the church? A priest with a girl, and they, they're they both laughing. He runs from the church. Uh, he sees uh, it's either a sailor or a policeman. Uh, sorry, an officer or a policeman. Um, and he, he just can't take it anymore. And the either the policeman or the uh, military officer beats him, drags him to court, where he's presented uh, to justice with... Uh, seemingly a jury of policemen or uh, military figures and the judge behind the bench as you pointed out this is just this is the crowning like oh my god what's going on the judge behind the bench also has a laughing woman at his side everyone has love everyone has um uh a woman except for him he's thrown into prison by a laughing guard the agent comes and laughs at him while he's in prison in jail um and when a guard comes he either feigns or uh tricks the guard and escapes with his with his um 
his cap in hand. And to me, I didn't realize this until you pointed out the scarf. Um, it's there. It's there. He, this is, to me, it could be a retelling of or a, a parallel telling to something in Ambrose Bierce's An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, where we think we're getting one story, but when we've got all of, like, the judge has a woman on the bench beside him? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, the policeman is making out with a girl in the park? Okay, but all of these, and the priest, right? It's almost as if this is in his mind, rather than a reality that everyone has this, as you pointed out, the same woman. So, how did he escape the prison? He's holding the scarf in one scene, and the next, he's laying on the floor. The next, he's got the cap, and he's escaping. He's hounded no, out of town. No, that's not him laying on the floor. I thought that at first, too. I, I, he uses the scarf to strangle the guard. I, that's how that's, he gets the guard's uniform. That's what I and thought the, as well. But how do we know? <laughs> because we see someone looking in at the figure who's lying on the floor. Right, but in and, and is shocked. At so Creek Bridge. A, se a second guard has discovered the first guard, and our guy has already left. But in an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, all of those, uh, the escape happens in a way uh, that seems plausible at the time. Oh, and I am absolutely in, in complete ag agreement with your notion that this is a psychodrama, mm -hmm. especially with the use of German expressionism, the way the, the skyscrapers tower over the man and he feels so claustrophobic and so on. Uh, all of these things are, are done metaphorically. If it's if the girl is the same girl, it's not really the same girl. It's that from the standpoint of the way this young man looks at things, these are all the same girl. Mm -hmm. um, and when finally we see the, the wife wearing another polka dot dress, uh, you have to wonder whether she's truly different or is she still somewhat the same. So I'm with you here, regardless of, of the nature of the escape. This is a psychological portrait rather than a realistic portrait. I, I also want to point out in the in the first scene where we see the 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 wife, um, it it's not 100% clear, but it looks like she could be pregnant at this point. Um, she's got the two goats beside her. They, the goats spot the the hero, the protagonist, take him to the house. They she nurses him. Uh, with what I'm assuming is some coffee or some hot broth or something. Um, and then um, he he looks back at the city. I'm, I'm not going back there, right? He makes the decision to stay with her in this sort of par beautiful con country paradise with the stars above, just as, as it was at the beginning of the story in the boat, um, with instead of uh, a, s a literal sea of water... There's a sea of clouds um, with islands of mountaintops, and they they are in a sort of a wonderland of a land a wavy landscape. He I has this ideal life where he fetches water, he he nurses her back to health, or at least brings her coffee or broth while she's either pregnant or sick, and after a labor gives birth to their child where he rejoices, right? I'm, I'm telling the same story you are, but the difference is um, when I see the, ch the children, the child running in the field with the, with the mother, the next image 
of the child painting, I assume it's a boy, painting as his father paints above him, um, there is a flower in the field that matches a four-pointed flower or a series of uh, several four-pointed flowers that match the same flower that we see as he enters the landscape as well at the beginning of the story. And when the stranger, or not the stranger, the uh, masked man comes um, as a shadow, points to points to the uh, contract, he smiles as if, oh, sure, I'll paint your point, portrait. You know the deal. And they wander up into the hill, uh, finding the perfect spot, perhaps, for the background of the image. He removes his mask, and he's shocked in perhaps a similar way to the way he was in realization at the brand on his mistress's back. When he he falls or dies um, after death has revealed himself to the readers now, um, we see, as you point out, the last image, the child is, uh, I, I think you pointed this out, the child is missing. Yep. She is with her goats again, which we had not seen. Um, so, if we if we like look at it as almost a circular story, uh, this man in a boat at the beginning of the story is both the father and the child, and that his missing father can be explained by the sort of cycle that has endlessly happened, uh, and the brush that magic gift of the go- the gods plural or whatever, is always paid by the same price, which is death. It's a very um, very beautiful sort of stru- story without having any words at all. I, I love your, your notion of it being circular, that the, 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 the artist begets the artist, but, but only if one has gotten um, one's skill in a, in, in a deal with death, a deal that, mm-hmm. that the artist himself doesn't recognize. I think that this is a deeply ambiguous work. One of the powerful feelings I get from it is that it asks me to slow down and attend to details. And uh, there are so many more that we could discuss if we cared to take the time today. Uh, Details like what are the headpieces to each of the chapters? Mm-hmm. What's the relationship between the cover image and the title page image? Uh, why two goats and two pale? I mean, it goes on and on and on. But one of the things that we could say is the opening image of God's man, the title character, is someone alone on a boat. He is alone in the sea of life. Mm-hmm. We don't know where he has chosen to go, but he's alone. And the sea of life is tempestuous. As soon as... Favor gives him the chance. He turns to his his portfolio, which he must have had with him all along. So in one way, the story may be saying that this man isolated alone without a father, as you say, and perpetually without a father, if he's an archetype for a certain Mm -hmm. sort of human being, this person who is perpetually alone is alone because he wants to be an artist. He attends with preternatural skill to what he sees around him. Hence, it's so easy for him to draw a crowd. Mm -hmm. And this book asks us to learn to look that way, to learn to see with that kind of intensity. So simultaneously, there is one reading of the book that says, 
giving up human relations in order to appreciate art is damning. And yet the experience of the book is to say, if we want to appreciate human relations, we must ever more sharpen our ability to see. That kind of irresolvable ambiguity is part of why I think this is God's plural man rather than God's man. But for each of these images, there's always more to say.